This is the Salespin Podcast. You are listening to Salespin, India's top B2B sales podcast, where we bring the world's best sales experts, successful sellers, and sales leaders who share their strategies to succeed in sales right now and talk about things no one else will. And now, Raul Wadwa. So much, Dave, for coming to the show. Of course, man. More than happy to come for this show and help you out with your podcast. It's, How are you happy? It's a Sunday we're recording. Oh, sales is my second job, so I have to do it. What's your first job? I'm not going to reveal that because a lot of people have caught moonlighting. Oh my god! Okay. Let's. All right. Okay, the controversies have started, guys. So <laughs> this is where it is now. All right. I think I have a long list of questions which I'm going to ask. And topic, in case it's not clear for anybody, is confessions of an SDR. Yep. It's going to be controversial. It's going to be sensational. Let's keep it that way. Let's hope so. All right. I think, Dave, I think it'll be helpful for anybody who's watching this for the first time would be to, what is an SDR? You are an SDR. What does an SDR do? So in the conventional sense, an SDR is someone who is the front line of your mm-hmm. GTM function, someone who gets the list of accounts that you have, the places you want to be, and mm-hmm. the customers that you want. Your frontline sales reps are the ones who initiate that conversation for you. So it's not a direct close or a direct closing role, but someone who gets that meeting for you, someone who says, hey, this is interesting, want to come check it out, could be what an SDR does. Sounds jazzy though. What do you tell your parents do you actually do? I try to explain to them like, hey, this is sales, but they're they just confused and they're like, hey, isn't that just marketing? Uh-huh. That's what you do. Hey, get somebody's attention, bring them in. But then I have to like explain to them, no, marketing is different. We are more aggressive with our approach uh-huh. for bigger deal sizes and all of that. So yeah. What do you different. tell your friends you do? I just tell them I have a job that pays really well. Okay. What do people actually think you do? Like I said, so mostly it's just like marketing. They're just like, hey, which uh-huh. company do you work for? And the thing about startups is they don't usually know which area you would be in. If mm-hmm. I say a startup like uh, B2Brain, they'll be like, hey, what is that? Do you like sell brains or something? Oh. But uh, I'm just like, no, no, it's just we do this, we do that. And they're like, oh, that is very interesting. And then they start throwing in names like Salesforce and Zendesk. So those mm-hmm. companies, they know because they're uh-huh. widespread, right? But yeah, then they get the gist of like where we're trying to go. So yeah. Okay. Can you talk more, maybe a little bit more about how has your journey been in the last, how many, how, how long you've been in SDR? In B2B SaaS, it's been about a little more than a year, uh-huh. maybe like a year and two months. In sales in total, I think I started in 2020 of October. That was mainly B2C sales and mentorships and all of those. So about two years. Yeah, about two years in sales altogether. How's the journey? It's fun. I'm not burnt out yet. So thank you. I'm hoping it stays that way. If you guys are watching, <laughs> if you want to throw some opportunities my way, I'm all game. But yeah, so for me, it was always, I always had a thing where I wanted to become an SDR manager. I love helping people, coaching them to hit their goals. That's mm-hmm. what drives me more than psychologically closing people. So mm-hmm. that would be where I would want to go. Okay. So I want to talk about the perception of this role and how this has evolved in the past few years, maybe. Now in the West, I know most of the leaders, most of the CEOs, everybody kind of talks about, hey, this is the most important part of the role. This is the most important role in the company because everybody should be an SDR, blah, blah, blah. I want to understand, do you think that's the same case in India? In that sense, I always tell people that in India, an SDR role, even the B2B SaaS space is still maturing. We're in a country where we are still developing, we are... Like people are still trying to recognize what India can do and what it's about. And that's why I never ventured into other markets because here it's like a stock market philosophy of buying low and selling high, right? If you can place yourself in a higher position in a country that is just developing, you'll always have that leverage. In the US, since there are already people who are doing great things, you hear so many great names, so many great influencers, it'll always be tougher to cut through that. In India, it's a bit more easier if you put in 
little less work but still more work compared to the other probably cut that <laughs> okay all right well i agree with that however i still want to double check click on the point when you tell people hey this is what i do jokes apart when you tell people hey i actually make 50 calls 60 calls a day i write emails uh, and uh, tell people uh, into you know, setting up a meeting or whatever your objectives are do you think you feel that pride the way most people would have actually done for example if they're engineer doctor whatever pride so for me in that sense i come from from a place where i've always worshiped someone who does entrepreneurship and that kind of role for them building startups is always a tough task they have to do whatever it takes to build their business and get the business in. so there is no pride over there pride only comes when you start making that revenue start building your brand and you become that unicorn so in the early stages there is if you have a if you have pride in being a founder or a or an entrepreneur it's not going to work out for you in in a lot of sense because first of all you have to do a lot of things to get where you want to be and if you have that pride also another thing that i've seen with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they when they have that pride they don't upskill themselves a lot they don't have that way of staying humble hey i need to learn more to get where i am so again like pride would never be a thing if you're in this field because you always have to keep upskilling yourself and get to where you are you have to See, exactly. while that is all an ideal statement yeah. which you're making, however, what I'm trying to understand is, let's say in your Warakuru chats with your friends, colleagues, everybody else, let's say who's all an SDR, do you think you deserve, or you? I'm sorry, not deserve. You get the same respect, for example, as other people in the company. For example, somebody who's actually closing those deals, maybe an AE, for lack of better. Word. So for me, it's not respect would be, would not be the word I would use. It would be more of recognition. Okay. so it would be more like hey okay i see you doing this mm-hmm. i see that you have the potential to do this as well so why don't we devise a game plan for you mm-hmm. to get there so that recognition is very honest i don't think sdrs will be like hey i respect you for setting that meeting they'll be like hey okay this you're doing really good why don't we work on what you have to do next okay let me put it in a more straightforward straightforward manner do you think you have a seat at the table or you're probably sitting next to the table or probably sitting far away from the table So again that varies from company, company to company. To company. Yeah. So I've seen managers who do not care. I've seen managers who really care. So again that differs from company to company and yeah I have been in companies that have both ends. So yeah. Okay. Again I'm talking about perception so I have more questions. So do you think at any point of time ZRs would probably feel insecure to talk to someone higher in the management because they think hey I'm just an SDR. Always. Okay. And this answer I think every SDR especially in my dms in your dms would agree with this yeah. because the thing is in the end they are in the power position if we are just 2 months 3 months into the role we are still in we are still in probation our jobs can go any time you want and our job is a numbers based game if you're not getting that number in 2 to 3 months and you go and tell your manager hey this is the problem you try to question them it's a problem they'll be like this guy he doesn't he doesn't look at authority the right way he's not getting numbers either why should i keep him in my team So again it comes back to the question of hey what kind of manager are you are you accountable for your team are you accountable for their actions and what they do do you take feedback correctly so yeah. how about other teams so for example i mean from where i come from you guys are respected a lot right i'm sure that's a same case with let's say all the other families especially in india do you think for example engineering teams or design team or marketing team respect the sdr the with marketing uh, with engineering and design teams it's more around it's more of an ab test with us like mm-hmm. we never talk about respect as such as it's like more around hey we are bringing out this feature do you think after selling your icp would this be beneficial to you 
how could you sell it to them and uh, can you put this into your workflow since so since i have worked with more sales selling to sales right. they like can you put this into your workflow and see if it would be beneficial to you book a lot of calls a lot of meetings to do your calls right yeah. it might be possible for you for example to do that that while you're actually speaking to a prospect and hey do you have this do you have this we launched that do you have this yeah. it's easier for you somebody who's booking a meeting through emails may or it may or may not be beneficial for him Yeah. So the point I'm trying to make is when marketing is speaking to a sales team, do they consider you as somebody who should give an opinion while they're actually making some changes, like big changes, or is it primarily the sales managers or the account executives or maybe someone who's bringing money to the table? So again, I think this is a personal opinion, but right. I have right. heard like good traction, like okay. agreeing to this opinion. But I feel like although everyone agrees that there should be a marketing sales silo, neither team should be working under each other. Mm-hmm. because a marketing person's kpis and the way they conduct their teams and the sales person's kpis and the way they conduct teams is completely mm-hmm. different the heads and the managers should have a discussion mm-hmm. bring up a plan and then we can trickle it down but if a marketing person comes and starts ordering your sales reps it's hell's going to blow and if a sales manager is going to say hey we need these kind of mqls it's it might work out but it the probabilities are really less where i'm coming from is since you guys are closer to the ground you guys are talking to way more people than account executive yeah. or sales manager or even ceos would they might not have the same view as you do yeah. so that is where i'm coming from do you think your opinion would actually matter in case you, for example since you talk to a lot of prospects and you book a lot of meetings through cold calls you know the real problem and while you're reporting those problems back to the your sales manager and i'm yeah. sure there's somebody in the organization listening to those calls so they would have some view yeah. but not as much as you do so do you think dr should have a view in terms of let's say you're selling sales tool right yeah. you're using that tool to sell it to other sales organization yeah. so you would know better when that workflow let's say when that feature is introduced hey yeah. this is bullshit or probably this is great yeah for sales selling to sales yes i have noticed that mm-hmm. i have always had that thing with the engineering thing where hey you notice that this is something that they would need more than this but i feel like when you're a sales team who is selling like customer success or like engineering maybe the inputs might not be valuable because that's not your expertise right so again it depends on different teams to teams and where you're selling right so i started in customer care about 2008 and i had a four months training just to imagine four month training where i was given training on the product one month product training and one month training on communication skills Uh, then there were one month of mock calls and then there was actually uh, when we went live on the fourth month yeah. and then it took me another month to make wow. sure getting those numbers which was required csat and all that whatever yeah. customer care now four months of training as much as i understand the situation in india and even across the globe the training is mere less than a month yeah do you think the training first of all comment on the training which you have got and i think that's That should not be a surprise because yeah, everybody is going through the same. In terms of training, since I've worked in companies that have are very early in startups, be like ten to twenty people, versus companies who are hitting like the hundred employee mark, and then I have gotten opinions from people who are working in enterprises as well. So the training durations have always been different for all of these companies. For a smaller company, I've seen people hire experienced people. Like again, when you go to the job posting, they always want someone with two years of experience, and they'll always come to me and ask for after they're like, "Hey, do you know any good SDR out there?" I'm like, "What are you looking for?" Hmm. They're like, "Yeah, we need this done. We need that done. How much pay will you give?" Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So I'm like, "Then how can you expect a good SDR?" And then I'm like, "Okay, if you want, if you're only giving this much pay, I have this candidate for you." Hmm. but they would need training they'll be like no nah, we don't want to do that <laughs> so then and this comes back to like why there are so many 
people being like, hey, we are struggling to hire. Do you have any referrals? Because the problem is that you are not ready to invest in your team. As man- and I understand you're in a growth phase. You want to grow really fast. Spending four months on training a new SDR and not knowing if they'll stay with your startup or not right. is a risky investment. But again, you, that is the risk you have as a startup. That is the startup pain. So that is a risk you will have to take that, hey, I know that my training might make them stay and the culture might make them stay, the product might make them stay. Mm-hmm. But that training-wise, again, there's a lot of leeway that needs to be done. So I always see training like when an SDR comes into your organization, they are basically coming to, coming, basically coming into a movie. So you have to sell your SDR on the product first before they go out and sell it. So if a CEO tells their SDRs or their frontline reps, hey, this is why we started this company. This is why we sell the product. This is where our customers are. And this is exactly where we want to target. They'd be like, oh, okay. This product has been sold here before. You just be like, hey, this is the product, go sell it. They'll be like, I don't know, where does it fit? Because every employee can never have an entrepreneurial mindset. They don't know where the business has come from, what's the reason for building it and everything. Some people might have it. And mm. I feel like those people are the best SDRs, mm. especially those who have, who are serial entrepreneurs. Like, you know, they've tried entrepreneurship and come into SDR roles. They understand the hustle and the pain and they're always self-learners. Right. But if you want to recruit talent, like massively in a mass scale, you have to have process in place for it. What, do you know anyone, or let's say even you have brought this to your organization or any of the previous organizations you have worked for? And it's not a dig on anybody. It's the whole reality. It's not that one company is doing so well that they have a four-month or five-month training program. Yeah. I don't know, know a single organization which has it, at least in India. Yeah. So I think it's out in the open. Have, do you think, have you brought this up? Or have, has, do you know anybody who has brought this up? Yeah, so I'm a rebel in the industry. And I always make sure that I'm very straightforward. And, and that too, I'll only be straightforward once I've had attraction in an organization. If I show that I have SEA potential and I can bring genuine revenue and have an impact in your company, then I would ask, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Can we take this to another level? It's not gone well, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when I have such substance. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've always tried to bring it up with people and with my managers, with my colleagues as well. But again, still a lot of work. Okay. How much training do you think is required for somebody, let's say, who has not been, who, who does not have an entrepreneur mind or does not come from that background? Yeah. So again, it, that question can be dissected into different SDRs coming from different backgrounds. Now, right. a person who has come from B2C background has already had a few, a bit of cold calling experience, a bit of cold emailing experience. So they might need lesser training than somebody who's not been in sales at all. Because okay. they just need to learn the technical jargon, the technical side of the SaaS industry. What about the unlearning? So that's... The unlearning is more of the easier part. So they all they have to do is maybe be a bit more empathetic on calls rather than be more pushy. So since I've worked in Baiju's, I've seen mm. people come from Baiju's to SaaS, mm. the issues they face, and uh, the best SDRs that I've seen uh, have come from Baiju's and Zomato. I don't know why. It's just like the statistic mm. thing that I've seen where these two companies have always given great B2B SaaS SDRs. And training them has always been simpler and they always tend to get rock stars. Since I've worked in Baiju's, I've seen how they train people for cold calls, how they explain the product to them, how the selling works. It's only that first bit where you're a bit pushy, but when you're selling your product, it's sympathetic and understanding of how, like the, how process works and how doing when it. When you said it, I'm just trying to think about yeah. why that might be the case. And I'm just trying to take a wild guess. 
it's because maybe in B2C, they've had more exposure talking to people, while which you don't get in B2B because one in 80 call connect and there probably one in 10 call will connect. Yeah. So you have, you're actually talking to more people, getting more feedback. You're actually practicing more and eventually improving. Yeah. Also that reluctance to pick up the phone. Yeah, that's, that's not good. Good. because see. because you don't have yeah you don't have like emails damaged emotionally so. you can't book you can, you can't sell values on LinkedIn or you can't impossible <laughs> so that's those are some things that I had to learn so like I mentioned I'm not I'm I might be a good caller always emailing has been the issue for me because I've been calling for so long emails I only started writing when I came into B two B since you spoke about calling I think Babe asked you a question on LinkedIn when are you starting your own masterclass see the thing is I'm just like one one year and two months into the industry, I still have the imposter syndrome that's, hey, I might not be good enough for it. Hey, there is a lot more to learn about this. Maybe that day I might start a master class when I'm like, hey, okay, I'm done with cold calling. This is all I need to learn. But again, like that comes back to the conundrum. Should you start before you're done? That kind of thing. Have you heard of that uh, analogy? No, but I'm, of course, I'm, I'm not a stranger to imposter syndrome. And I think the time will never come. Is, yeah. Is all I can yeah. tell you. There will be not be a perfect time. Yeah. And uh, if you're thinking about, I'm going to wait, I'm, I'm just 18 months in the system, I can't do it. Trust me, you can. Think about, because you're thinking about, because you are all, all already looking up. You're looking at people who have had years of experience. And yeah. you're like, they have this much and I don't have anything. But you're not, what you're not seeing is probably people who are starting right now. Yeah. They don't need to look up to them. They need to look up to you or people who are yeah. actually at two years or lesser and doing yeah. great. So this, actually, I was just speaking to a friend uh, and a colleague yesterday about this, mm. and he gave me this perspective. He's, you don't have to sell it to the people above you. You have to sell it to the people who actually need it. So you know, I'm to... not bullshitting. Yeah, right? you're not bullshitting at all. <laughs> okay. What do you think is the training gaps right now, which India as a country still has when it comes to training their SDRs? And what are the top three areas where you think training is still required? Like I said, in terms of the company vision, your CEO, first of all, he should clearly convey to your manager. Should we say they? <laughs> okay yeah sure <laughs> all right just kidding yeah <laughs> but yeah they mm-hmm. should convey to their managers and the thing is one place where i see the training gap coming in is where the manager accountability right so it always reminds me of this scene from independence day when they figure out how to take out the shields of the aliens but the president is hey listen i'm pirate at heart i don't have to sit on a seat and just wait there i'm gonna come on the field with you wow so that has always been an SDR mindset that SDR manager mindset that I've always wanted to get to my team. So I've seen this happen at a few companies where the director of sales, the SDR manager is on field with us making calls, mm-hmm. sending out emails. And the thing is, they set the targets for the team according to what they can do as well. Problem with some of the most SDR managers in India right now is they've never been on the field. They are just like, hey, these are your targets. We need to hit this much revenue. Go get it. Have you tried going and getting it? Has that happened? No. The thing is, another thing that comes from a training perspective here is if the SDR manager is on the field, understands the objections, understands what the ICP is responding to, he will be able to create an even more efficient playbook. So again, that benefits the SDRs even more. See, while, again, I have been vocal about that fact as well, just the point you just raised. At the same time, I'm also trying to help everyone who's probably watching or listening to this is understand a different perspective as well, which is now think about somebody who has been VP of sales for some time. They might have made cold calls. And given the current role they have, that is whether it's to dictate that strategy or maybe hiring those people who can make your job easy. 
So while I understand you might not be reporting directly to a VP sales, but you might be reporting to, let's say, a director of sales or SDR or whatever. Yeah. Now, in that case, even if they want to, they might not be able to do it. And they might have done this in their prime years, and they might not have the time right now, given their other responsibilities. So I want everybody who's probably listening to this also to understand yeah. that perspective. I completely agree. I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. And obviously, VP of sales, we have started setting meetings with VP of sales and everything, and they're always busy. But I'm just telling you, this is the, it would be an ideal way of creating the most solid playbook. Because right. again, if you want me to take names, our director of sales is outplayer. Uh-huh. Even though he was a director of sales there, he used to work, he used to still make calls and send out emails. Okay. I used to see meetings from him, close deals from him, even though he was a director of sales. Wow. So I understand it takes a lot of hustle. But if you truly want to set an example for your team, I would do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I agree. Leading with an example is the best thing a leader could do instead of saying or maybe holding those long meetings where you're giving those pep talks. Yeah. You just go out and do it yeah. and probably show your team how it's done. So that's definitely there. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because now I have more tougher questions for you. That's fine. All right. Another controversial thing or taboo topic I want to cover is the salary or the compensation. I have this philosophy. This is a philosophy that I used when I was in, when I was trying to become an entrepreneur. So whenever you go to a company working for somebody, if it's a startup or a mid-sized company, if there's a salary that you're paying, they're paying you yearly, mm. take that salary, take 10% of it. Oh, I'm sorry. Take the salary. The salary that you get, that salary should be 10% of the revenue that you generate for them. So suppose okay, this, okay. this is a very uh, example. I'm not saying I get this much, by the way, but this is just an example. Suppose a person is getting $30,000 a year. Again, I, I'm not getting this, just, just <laughs> for an example. If they're getting $30,000 a year, mm. the minimum pipeline that I should be generating for that company is $300,000 a year. In terms of meetings and whatever KPI you have. So you, okay. You mean 10x? You did not mean 10%? 10x, yeah. 10x. 10x. So yeah. 10x of the pipeline. Okay. That's a new thing for me, if I'm being <laughs> honest. And yeah, I think it could be a good benchmark for somebody who yeah. is probably starting right now. Yeah. Uh, not bad. Not yeah. bad. So, so you're, you're paid 30,000 or 40,000? No, not close. You talk to other SDRs who are probably starting the career right now. And you also are, I'm sure everybody's aware of how much each, everybody's being paid, what's average salary yeah. like. Do you think that's fair? Do you think there could be an increment to it? Do you think, you know what, I think that, that's just the way it is. I have seen people approach this in two different ways. Right. In small, smart startups and startups that have a bit more capital, a bit more revenue. So in, start, in startups that have a bit more capital and revenue, they always try to keep the pay of the SDRs equal. Because again, like SDRs talk, we are a team, we are a family, we have to talk to each other. If you tell somebody a salary and they are getting more and they're like even lesser experience than you or on the same level, you just be demotivated to work. Right. right. You'd be like, oh, they're not paying me enough to work this one. I've seen that happen and I've seen them match the pay of the base pay of the entire team and right. doing that as well. So that's a good thing to do. Even though they might not bring in as much revenue, it culturally keeps the team same. Like they are, they might have long, more longevity in terms of staying in the company and all that. In startups is where I've seen like they always bargain. They're like, hey, this is all we can pay you. And I was severely underpaid when I started this industry, like in this industry, like severely. Like I still remember in my second company, I was just talking to my colleague. It was like my first month. I just finished RAM. And he was asking me, like, we were just having a casual chat and we were just like, hey, what's the pay like? But tell him my pay and he's like, dude are you sure i can't believe you're only getting this much 
I'm like, yeah, isn't that a good salary? And that comes back, hey, how many SDRs are not aware of the pay? And I'm just like, whoa, you're getting that much? I can't even imagine making that much. Now, I always make it a point to make it vocal. So if whenever I refer somebody, it's How do you know today that you're being paid? For example, it's the question for every SDR eventually. Because I remember I I wrote a long post some time back where I said, what I would I go paid seven years back? That's not even the base salary today. Yeah. Seven years back. Imagine the inflation. And I know... A lot of people send DMs to me asking, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm being paid this much. Is this right or am I not being paid enough? So for me, in terms of that, it's I always compare my pay range. Mm-hmm. So there's always a range of salaries that every company offers you. Some companies might give you more, some right. companies might give you less. So I always check in terms of what kind of management is present there. What kind of peer-to-peer learning can I get? How can I upskill my career? What does the growth plan look like in that company? What is the work volume that looks like? So in some companies, they have KPIs, which actually makes you do eight hours of work. Even though if, even if you set two, three meetings a day, they'll make, they'll be like, you have to hit your KPIs. So again, if you have to do that, you might, it's more time from your end, right? Some companies are like, Hey, if you get this much, you can do whatever you want. So you can get that in three, four hours. You can get that in eight, nine hours. doesn't matter. So that's up to you. So depending on that, I'm just like, Hey, this is what seems fair. Right. For me doing this much work for you. And that's my salary. And I've never seen a manager saying, hey, you deserve more than this. Obviously, they won't say that. But I'm hoping one day they will. So what you're saying is, in a nutshell, while people are looking as an, as a, as an SDR role, while they are looking at the compensation, they must also look into the other factors, like you said, like how the learning would look like, how the ramp period would look like. Would they have enough leeway to try on their own sequences or emails or whatever the company exactly. has, the management, the vision, like a lot more factors, right? Yeah. Which goes into this. Okay. Yeah. Now, SDR role also involves dealing with other people, especially your account executive or what we call popularly as AE. How much do you think your success or your growth depends on a company in your in terms of the relationship that you have with your AE? In terms of that also, um, so obviously every SDR mm-hmm. has a dispute with the AE. Hey, is this meeting qualified? Why should we qualify it? And we always have that thing like, hey, why don't we ask the manager? Mm-hmm. So again, like it's always good to have. So we used to have this thing in a company called rules of engagement. If this is satisfied, then we'll consider it qualified. If it's not, then tough luck. Like you're not going to accomplish it. In terms of that, it's always good to have the rules of engagement. Now, there might be a situation where you might be given an A who's on ramp or maybe you're given somebody who's not a great closer. So in, in terms of that, again, it's good to be vocal about it to your managers. If you think it's a qualified meeting, you can always be vocal about it. You can be like, hey, this, I think this is it. But I would recommend one thing, never be on your AE's bad side. <laughs> because in the end, like he has to close it for you. Your commission is based on it. And it's always good to have that. So I always say that sales is a team game. And a lot of people say that it's the thing that you have to play together as a team. And if you're, if they're like disrupts in your team, it's always like, a, it's going to be a rocky next few months for you. So it's always better to have that connect with your AE, but if it's not working out for you, just make sure that you take it culturally appropriately towards your management, not just fight about it. I think you're saying a lot of politically correct statements. <laughs> anyway, so let me give you two scenarios and tell me which side you have been on. Yeah. An AE who will accept any and every single opportunity you will send him his way, his or her way. And second would be who will not accept any opportunity no matter what you do. So accept as a qualify or... So while there are rules of engagement, like you said, they will always be... Uh, there will always be tips around while you think something is qualified. Let's say, let's say you forgot to ask the prospect about the number of seats. For example, number of seats is one yeah, of the criteria, right? Yeah. 
And while you think they have a large sales team and you believe, let's say, that's qualified, but your account executive believes this is something which you should have actually clarified on the call or email before he accepts this an opportunity, right? Yeah. So in this case, again, I'm assuming that this is one case, there can be thousands of cases like this where you're dealing with conflicts on a daily basis, bringing in your manager and manager has to side with one buddy, one yeah. person or eventually get into the conversation. So usually in this sense, what happens is the meeting actually goes to the second one and it doesn't get qualified in the first one. And that's where SDRs kind of get annoyed because if you have monthly targets right, and your second meeting is set for the next month, it's yeah. a problem. So yeah, of course I have been in the receiving end of both because there have been A's who is a believer of, Hey, if an SDR brings in a meeting that too with the VP, they deserve to be credited for it. So whatever happens on the call, if there's only like in, in a band qualification, if there's only one or two things missing, they'll be like, it's fine. Qualified. Sure. But I've been on the other end as well, where they're like, Hey, I don't think this is going to result in pipeline. But the problem is there are products that we work with who are in very competitive markets with a lot of competitors. The problem is the timelines will never agree. And given the uncertainty right now, it'll even be hard. Exactly. So there'll always be one thing that will be missing on band qualification. So then are you not just, are you just going to stop crediting your SDRs for the meetings? Then there's no point, right? Then our job becomes redundant. So again, that's where we try to find the balance of, Hey, should we qualify this or not? So again, that depends on what uh, process set up in your team and like what this thing is done. Yeah. Okay. So what's your whole view on the remote work? So it's interesting. Like I have seen pros and cons in both ends of remote Mm -hmm. work and office work. Now, when I was in office work and I was on ramp, it was always more easier to interact with my colleagues, people who have more experience, Mm -hmm. go to them and ask them for the doubts and get cleared that way. Mm -hmm. In remote work, when I'm on ramp, they are like, uh, I'm messaging them on Slack and they're just like replying after two hours and I'm waiting for, uh, I need to send up a follow-up email after my call. Hey, what should I say to him? What kind of objection should I, how should I deal with this and objection? Calling is not an option because you don't know if they're on a call or not. Exactly. Because they're always on meetings. Right? Yeah. In this, at least you can tell them this. Switch yeah. off the camera. Hey, I have this situation. What do you think about it? So in that way, I've always loved office work. Now, if you are... Um, person working in the office in Bangalore, I have sympathies for you because I have the time I had when I was working in Bangalore was like mm. peak rainy season. Mm. And again, I was obviously underpaid, so I can't take a cab to the office. Mm. I had to go by bus in the starting wow. of my career and the bus doesn't stop right in front of your office. Right? <laughs> and walking in the rain, being late, taking one and a half hours to and fro from your day, it was horrible. And that too, someone working the night shift. So in my first job, it used the timings used to be eight to five, eight p.m. to five five a.m. Five a.m. Wow. So the thing is, if I don't get a bus at five p.m., I'm not getting a bus. So I have to start my journey at five p.m., get on the bus, get to the office at six p.m., right. wait for my work shift to start, and then go until five a.m. And then go home. And, and the problem then... is, buses in Bangalore only start at six a.m. So wait another hour for the oh. bus to start, then go home. And by the time I'm home and I'm asleep, it's 8 a.m. Wow. So in that sense, I would not of like course. office work. Yeah. Because right now, if you're working remotely, exactly at 6 o'clock, you can log in. Exactly at 3 o'clock, you can log out. Which is pretty basic. You don't have to like travel anywhere, get stuff in the rain. So again, up to company to company, everything has its own pros and cons, depending on what kind of style you want to go for. It's yeah, I never looked at it that way. I never thought this could be a problem again. Yeah. I know. I'm sure you're talking about 
And I'm pretty sure any, anybody who's starting a decent organization as an SDR would not probably have to go through that because usually people would pick up pick a place nearby. For example, yeah. if somebody's relocating to Bangalore, so that would not be a problem. But yeah. I can understand that this could actually yeah. even be, wow. Yeah, yeah. Especially like... You've done so much hard work now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's the thing, right? Even in terms of pay, the relocation thing, usually people who are just trying to get a job, they'll never know how to ask for a relocation bonus. They'll never yeah. know how to ask for a night shift allowance. These mm-hmm. kind of things I only knew once I joined the job and my colleagues are like, you should have asked for this. Yeah, you didn't like, ask, I don't you know. didn't get. I don't know. So that's the thing. So that's why we're on this podcast to educate people more. Like they should. And I, I can this. totally see you one day talking about that old guy. It's like my father or probably our father would say. Remember, you know, when I was in there, I used to get bent. Yeah, bent. now you're just in the metaverse on your VRs, just setting up meetings. It's so exactly. easy for you. Yeah. Go stand out in the rain for a while. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think uh, we're probably coming towards the end. And I think I want to ask you like a sort of not a hard question, but I'm sure it's a question on everybody's mind which is, like you said at one point of time, it's a role which could be made redundant overnight. It's a numbers game. If you don't have your numbers, yeah. there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of anxiety. Companies talk about, oh, you're promoting mental health and all that. Nobody knows the ground reality as much as you do, yeah. or as much as your colleagues or peers would do. How do you deal with that on a daily basis? Like I said, in terms of that, I would always recommend somebody who is new to the game to always try to aim and get into bigger organizations where they have that leeway of giving you some time before you start performing. If you're getting into startups, you have to be ready to face the ground reality that life is going to be really tough to you. Because when you're in a startup and you're trying to get those numbers, again, every startup wants to scale up as fast as possible. Right. They want to get that funding. They That's their motive. Right. Now, if you as an SDR wants to take things slow and take things at your own pace, it's not going to work out. It's going to be very tough. And that's why I come back to the point of serial entrepreneurs becoming best SDRs. Because they have been trying to set up their business for one to two years, working 16, 14, 16 hours a day. But then that's like nothing. Hey, I'll do this work. I need to get paid. Yeah. But a person who is just like out of college, they've just been like, hey, this is not a thing for me. I'm just searching for the next thing that I should go into they need to have this mentality. And that's why the supply demand gap in the SDR role is so big. And there is no supply of SDRs because the role is, because when I tell people itself, hey, I'm in sales, they'll be like, why? Like, (laughs) why do you want to do that to yourself? Why do you want to get rejected every day on 60 calls? And that's the supply problem that we have. But the demand is really high. Everyone wants to set up their business. Everyone wants to get the revenue. Everyone wants to get the numbers. So yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, actually that is bringing me to so many questions. Number one being, when you talked about demand and supply problem, we know there's a problem of supply, right? We know the demand is high. What do you think organizations can maybe, it could be small steps, it could be baby steps. We're not yeah. expecting Elon Musk level yeah, you know, authority. So what, what do you think companies can do right now? This is what I always tell companies that are looking to hire SDRs and mm-hmm. SDRs who are looking out for a job. Always try to go through a third party who has validated the training part and the hiring part and they're trustworthy. So some cohorts, like I would always recommend cohorts then where you can go into the cohort, they'll mm-hmm. train you, you will get a gist of what cold calling looks like, how you can unlearn, relearn things, how you can write emails, how do you can bring build your presence on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And most of the cohorts, like they have people who have already established themselves as managers in the field, like on in B2B sales. And that would be a great exposure for you. Right out of the bat, I've seen some of these cohorts. They they pay 
much more than what I used to get as when I was a first semester. Maybe even double. What I wanted to understand is, and this is something again, I have had a mixed opinion of people whom I've interviewed in the past from these cohorts, which kind of trains you on the sales training. I think the ground reality is missing. While you get a lot of theory, and while I can understand, for example, if you would probably attend this, it will make a lot of sense for you because you already have that mindset. Somebody who is just a graduate, twenty-one, twenty-two years old, right? No idea about life, no idea about having told anything much in life. If they were to attend this, for them, it's a theory dump because what I've seen is no no cold calling experience. And at the same time, I've seen again. I'm going to go back to the previous statement which you made that a lot of these people, for example, might not even have the cold calling experience. So while they have a business sense, no doubt about it, while they have a complete sense on running these cohorts, maybe even a training background, I have no doubts about it. But then comes the question of when once these people are ready and these are certified, hey, you're a certified graduate now, go and sell. Can these people perform the same way or not? So that's where the gap comes here again, right? right? So this these cohorts are a start. Right. The problem is now if there is a B two B company that is promising B two C people or graduates that hey. come to our company we are hiring non b2b folks they might not train you the same way they might not have the time to train you the same way i'm not saying all companies might not mm. i have seen situations where companies have hired people from b2c mm. no training given they are expected to perform they don't during probation there is you can leave see the problem the, the solution which is suggested definitely solves some part of it some and i'll part. probably talk about why it doesn't solve the whole problem it's leading to a bigger problem which is the same problem which we had probably in my prime years which will be on the lines of do an mba an mba college is now promising you jobs worth 50 lakhs or 100 yeah. crore or whatever if these cohorts start promising the same thing without realizing the ground reality or without making people the ground understand the reality we are leading to more problem we are leading we are actually forcing people to do a course and then be even more unsatisfied and then talk about going the market and talk yeah. about how sales is such such a bullshit job right yeah while it's going to solve the problem again it's a, it's, a, it's the same thing which I'll have to raise funding quickly and eventually get out of it cohort probably might solve that problem what do you think about let's say what if i mean it's just a question what if there was a school for one year where you get enrolled just like after graduation or maybe instead of graduation yeah. you get trained on sales like you go to the regular classes you have these cold calling classes imagine somebody who's in the first three months getting trained by dave versus somebody who's probably in the prime year getting trained by somebody senior yeah. like one year of sales so in terms of that so who would is it like mock calls mock emails everything or? everything not just an sdr it could be preparing you let's say graduating you from sdr to a so there could be different schools and like i said this is just a thought i'm sure some startup would probably come come up with an idea but Yeah, that is a good gap to fill. By the way, and I've already seen that gap in training. And mm. again, touch wood. Hopefully, I put something in there. I've seen these courses as well. I don't know. I have not attended them as such. There are a lot of cohorts, especially in the US right now, that right. you know, JD sales and right. they are doing these things. But in terms of that, again, this is a personal opinion. I don't sure. know if this is right. Sure. But I feel if a person goes into a company and is trained, and that's the issue, right? They're not trained on selling the product that they're selling in the company. now sales tactics can be generic if you're in a in this kind of this sure. thing but the training that you need is where how to sell this product how to handle these this product's objections so in one year if you can you will have to 
kind of teach them about hey this is what a cs person's priorities might be this might be uh, this is what a sales person's priority might be mm. because you don't know what their next company is going to be if you teach them a generic thing again it's you don't know the likelihood of what's going to happen when they sure, look up sure. yeah. so of course that is where accountability from both sides would come into picture where let's say and i'll tell you i'll tell you the problem statement i'll tell you the overall picture so imagine an sdr who goes through a cohort okay might or might not turn out to be in both both the sides i've seen yeah. some somebody who's great they did not even need the cohort they could have actually been selected anyways yeah. but they, they needed some validation or stamp or yeah. some sort of knowledge which they got it in through through the easy way or whatever yeah now there were there were people who thought sales is lucrative they probably they heard somebody making that kind of money yeah. they saw this was the way now i see they're unemployed and they will probably never get the job because they were never yeah. fit in the first place now while half of the tr- training part is done i think second part could be done when the training when the companies are taking the responsibility yeah. while you're saying oh, these cohorts pro- would probably take the responsibility trust me nobody would they won't yeah nobody would yeah at the end of the day they all have to make money they get money when they get uh, they place somebody yeah i'm sure there must be some sort of vetting process but we can't always rely on that so uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that i generally uh, that is very interesting point so i only refer people who are trying to break, break into b2b to to cohorts right so that they actually get to break into b2b right it's more like a gateway for them maybe they don't learn anything maybe they don't get the proper training they need but they are breaking into the industry they're getting that break so these cohorts might have some partnership companies who yeah. are maybe low level startups they have this thing so once is if and if they spend that one year Mm-hmm. in that startup they might be like oh you worked in b2b sales right. for one year so the supply and demand again it comes back to that right the, the supply and demand of sdrs is so high mm. that they might actually hire you because that is a better bet they can take see again i'm going to come back to the same point while it's solving a one problem it's actually leading to 10 others yeah. i mean sdr want to get it it's so bad into b2b sales i have no experience no connection whatsoever i go to this cohort i get a 5 lakhs job Okay, tomorrow the moment I see a seven or a ten lakh job, I'm going to leave it. The credibility of cohort is gone. The credibility of the company towards that cohort is gone. Then uh, CEOs start start talking about how SDRs are actually not, not do not want to stay in one company. Yeah. Again, the problems are endless. Yeah. So while we're solving for one, we're not looking into others. That's it. Yeah. But while while what you're thinking yeah. from your point of view is correct, I'm not denying it. I'm just yeah, I telling yeah. you from a I completely understand uh, leadership point Agreed. of view. All right. I think the last question I have for you is three things you wish you knew before you became an SDR. Okay so this is honestly i would just recommend one thing that everyone should have is the emotional detachment from your outcome so i've seen sdrs uh going on their calls or going on emails like reaching out to people mm-hmm. the minute they reach their kpi for the day they're out so the thing is you can always be emotionally be like oh okay i'm done for the day mm-hmm. or you can be like oh, uh, and if you make 80 calls in one day which is 20 more than what you do in right. and you don't get any meeting you'll be like just i don't think i'm set for the job so that emotional detachment from the outcome is something that is very tough to learn at first because you need to know hey this process is set for me maybe i made 80 calls today and it didn't work out mm. maybe tomorrow i'll make 30 calls and i can book four meetings so that emotional det- and also if i make 30 calls and i get four meetings should i stop there should i want more from the role if should i be lucky day exactly so never leave the poker table on a hot street yeah so always be like okay i want my commission i want 200% of my commission so emotional detachment outcome will be like okay i'm going to make more calls now 
I'm in the form. I want to do that. That is a great thing to have in Asia because it always sets you up for success. And yeah, I think that would be. And one thing would be like, hey, always try to keep upskilling yourself. Right. In the first few, I mean, four five months of my career, mm. I would never miss a single JB Sales webinar. I would never miss a single Jason B webinar. Mm. And I would always be taking notes and understanding how they are selling. And SDRing is a role that if you show your potential in six months or one year, it will be validated by the market. You don't have to be like, oh, you need two years of experience to be a rock star. And I know, like on the all job titles, you'll be like, hey, two years of experience needed. But if you can show it in six months, they will hire you. So again, always keep yourself up, upskilled. Always keep a time block on your calendar. Hey, this is even if it's a pre, even it's a recorded webinar that you have right. to rewatch. Yeah. Just do it. Okay. Any final thoughts for the people who have been impacted by the layoffs? Yeah. So I, again, like before <laughs> the layoffs happen itself, I've had a fair share of layoffs. Right. So literally December of last year, I still remember like I I got laid off and I came to your event and it mm-hmm. was great, right? So if you're a, if you believe you that you're a, job too. exactly, and I got the pay range I want to because you told me what mm-hmm. the ideal pay range should be. So one thing I would recommend is talk to more people, mm-hmm. try to upskill yourself during this time when you're looking out for a job because this is a good free time that you get because you don't have to work for eight eight hours. You get eight hours of learning that you can do right now. And if you do that learning, you go to events and you actually get a chance to talk to leaders. So again, I'm going to give you a very um, different example over here of revenue circuit. Like last year, right. okay, I just got laid off from my job. I was only in the previous company for one month, this company for two months. Okay. And that's like a huge red flag for any leader. They would not even bat, bat uh, their eyes at me. And I was like, I'm done. Like I'm going for masters or I'm going to go back to engineering. And my dad kept calling me. He's just come back. So I'm just, I was just like, listen, I'll just go for this event. If nothing works out, I will come back and take an engineering job. The day before the event happened, I fractured my leg. I still remember the shock in people's eyes when I was just slimping. They're like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm just here for a job. (laughs) So that's the thing, right? Like when I... So it comes back to how hungry are you to succeed in this role? So I came to that event in Bangalore traffic during rains with a fractured leg and came out with 11 job offers. Wow, 11 job 11 offers. 11 Out of that event? Yeah. You told me one. I should have promoted more. 11 job offers. Wow. I still remember. And that too, two of them didn't even interview me. They directly told me, this is your joining date. This is your pay. What? Just join. Wow. Yeah. So again, it comes back to how badly do you want to crush it in the world. So yeah, true, man. That is amazing. Yeah. So now I think, I don't think so. You need any validation and I'm sure you're good to start your own course. Like I think. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope so. Maybe in the next few months. Sure. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming to the show again. Awesome. This, this, is, gonna be this is the Sales Spin Podcast. podcast. You are listening to Salespin, India's top B2B sales podcast, where we bring the world's best sales experts, successful sellers, and sales leaders who share their strategies to succeed in sales right now and talk about things no one else will.